Hey everyone, welcome to the Americana Station podcast. I am your co-host, Will Payne Harrison, and today on the podcast we have Alvin Garrett. India Ramey uh, will be interviewing Alvin today about uh, his new album. Um, Alvin's album, The Lightness of Love, was featured on People.com, American Songwriter, Fox Souls, The Book of Sean, uh, USA Today, and a lot more. Uh, Alvin also co-wrote the first number one to hit the Billboard Gospel Airplay Charts in 2021 with Patiently Praising uh, with co-writer Fred Jenkins III. Um, without further ado, we're going to hop right into it today. Um, it's a pretty lengthy interview because India and Alvin hit it off and had a great uh, interview. And uh, looking forward to showing some more uh, soon. We've got Col- Corby Linker uh, as well as Todd Tillman coming up on the podcast. So make sure you like and subscribe. Tell uh, everyone you know to listen to the podcast. And uh, without further ado, here's India interviewing Alvin Garrett. I love you. But oh, what a feeling when you hear him say thank you. You planted these flowers. Garden, but the garden needs to speak. Now you see all of this beauty, but the garden remembers when you planted the seed. You told me I was great, and you told me I was wonderful, and you told me to keep my head up. It'd be hard. You told me I struggle, but you told me to never give up. So um, I am India Ramey here with Americana Station, and today I'm talking with Grammy-nominated and renowned soul, R&B, and gospel songwriter and musician who has a new album out called Lightness of Love. Alvin Garrett is here with me. Alvin, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thanks for having me, India. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And I hope you're doing all right. I am. I am. I'm, I'm wonderful. See this big smile on my face. You know, you got <laughs> to make it happen. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> contagious. And um, I'm so glad that I, I wish that we were meeting in person, but um, with the way of the world right now and everything going on, we're meeting via Zoom. But um, mm-hmm. I am thankful uh, that we're here together today to talk about your music. Me too. Me too. Um, so, let, let's just jump into it. Um, tell me about Lightness of Love. How did this, how did you approach this album and how, how did it, how did it come about? Well, really it was a discovery. Uh, just say, if we take, take it back to 2020 uh, and all the heaviness of the pandemic, social unrest, I actually recorded an album called The Awakening, yes. which directly spoke to what I was feeling during that point in time. Yes. Um, and, that, and that did well, but, you know, around election time and just you, you keep you, you're locked at home and you're watching the news and you feel this weight on you. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the ways that I was able to lift that weight off of myself was through family, gratitude, uh, enjoying uh, what I uh, was really uh, locked in with, which was family and love and that lightness of it, you know, just laughing with my kids, finding new ways to uh, be adventurous every day. And then I started making music that felt like that. And so I said, you know what, let me make an album that can 
make the world feel how I feel uh, pretending to be on a beach laying in the driveway with my kids. Right. Because we would do all those types of things we would just do during the pandemic. And it felt so light. You know what I mean? And that was the space I was in when I started creating this music. I, I can relate to that a lot. I, um, I wrote a lot and and leading up to 2020, like in in 2018, 2019, I wrote a lot about the heaviness was going on that was going on in the world too. And, um, really took a deep dive into some of that weighty material, um, that, that needed to be said. And, um, and, uh, and I, I had a, a similar experience whenever, you know, we went into quarantine. It was sort of like your survival skills kick in and you cope with it. Right. right. And um, so it sounds like, you know, you were coping with it by by trying to find the positive and kind of a dark um, moment. Is that sort of what you're talking about? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and for me, uh, gratefulness and. Uh, forgiveness and those core principles were were not only ways of dealing with the outside world, with dealing with myself and allowing myself to be free. And, and I really explored that, like I said, with family and my daughter, you know, she's 11 years old, you know, and watching her feel depression for the first time in her life. You know what I mean? When you're raising happy kids, right? Yeah. But to see her crying, missing school, missing her friends, mm-hmm. you know, to me, that was tragic. But then I, I, it just came out like, hey, let's think of all the things we can do. Let's make a list and explore that every day and see what, the things that we're grateful for. And watching her find joy from making a list, a long list of all the things she could do. And I never saw her depressed again during the pandemic. And hearing her say, well, I have learned all the things that I'm grateful for and I'm not sad anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, so just seeing that transpiring my own child helped me to realize as well, what am I grateful for? What what do I, you know, it's that chase of all those things that we can't reach, right? <laughs> that right. keeps us feeling heavy. But if we just embrace those things we can reach, then that's where the lightness uh, starts to sort of happen in your own life. And that's, and the love, of course, when you love yourself. Uh, and that was one of the things that I discovered d- during the pandemic was the love of self. Because I spent so much time uh, in that, you know, the music industry, chasing the love of the fans, chasing, you know, affirmation from your listeners and fans through your music. And you realize, wait a minute, I just need self-affirmation. I love this music. And and that's what I found with the lightness of love is that I don't care (laughs) who else loves this particular album. I love it. It makes me feel good. And that was freedom for me. Yeah. And I like so often it's, um, you know, as a songwriter and as a musician myself, sometimes it's you get caught up in it before you even know it. It's so easily it's so easy to get caught up in what's trending and what do people seem to be into and how do I serve that demand and how do I serve that need? And you forget to serve your needs as an artist Um, Because I feel like creative people like us, first and foremost, you know, we do this from 
we do this from a place of love and, and also a place of like compulsion, you know, it's like part <laughs> of us. Right. 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 And, and so I love it whenever an artist kind of goes back to themselves and says, what do I need from my art right now? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that was the most liberating uh, experience for me during 2020 and beyond up to this point now where I've, finally found my own voice and being a, you know, Grammy nominated songwriter and award-winning songwriter where you're writing for so many people and you're putting yourself in other people's shoes. You're looking at their marketing plans and you're looking at their fans and that relationship and trying to write the songs that work for other people. Sometimes you can lose the sound of your own voice in that process. And for so many years, I believe I, I started convoluting my own voice yeah. uh, with the songs I was writing, you know, for other artists. Uh, but during this pandemic, I found the voice for Alvin Garrett. Like I heard myself differently because it was so quiet. You know, honestly, I just yeah. spent you know, waking up at 3, 3.30 in the morning, um, just spending so much time to myself. And I was able to hear my own voice. And I was like, wow, I sound great, you know. <laughs> uh, and, and even musically, since we're musicians and, and writers, you know, I on my previous albums, I sang in a higher register, you know, and, and I felt I was really pushing. So in this latest project, I dropped my register on all of my songs and started relaxing a little more, you know, and now my talking voice is, is a little deeper mm -hmm. because I've relaxed as a person. You know what yeah. I mean? I'm nervous yeah. And I'm not so stressed about life. I'm not concerned about oh, who's, who's going to buy my music or who's going to love it because yeah. I, I found what I love. And to me, that's the that's that journey to becoming an artist, not just a, uh, a recording artist or a performing artist or in the business of music. But true artistry is when you only care <laughs> with, about your own creation and yeah. you're happy with that. You know what I mean? Yes. That, it's, and, and that's that, you know, that. Um that thing that everybody chases, that authenticity that everybody chases. And, and I, f I feel like that word gets thrown around a lot, but um, I feel like whenever an artist is truly doing them, that's mm -hmm. where the authenticity um, comes from. Right. And um, you don't sell that. <laughs> it's just there. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like, and, I tell the yeah. great thing is, is that sometimes like a lot of the times it sells. Because yes. it's so authentic and it's so genuine, people feel that from you and they want to be a part of it too. Yeah. So like people say, you're always smiling, you're always smiling. And I'm like, yeah, it's not because I'm happy 100% of the time. <laughs> it's because I choose to smile. You know what I mean? And it costs a lot to protect a joyful existence. It, it, you have to forgive quickly, which is not always easy to do. Yeah. You know, and even yourself, you have to forgive yourself for your own shortcomings and mistakes, you know, to get back to a place of joy. You know, you have to get get over infractions against you. You have to get over rejection. So it takes a lot to even uh, smile you know, when you know life is throwing a lot at you every single day, you know, the kids in the background, right? So when when people see me smile, it's not because life is easy, it's because I've overcome a lot to get to the smile. You know what I mean? And so that's yeah. where to me the lightness of love is so powerful. 
is because when you experience true love, you can't be heavy. There's no heaviness in the presence of true love. You know what I mean? Because say if I saw you on the street and you were hungry and I'm filled with love, I find something for you to eat. You know, you can't be mad at a person when they're feeding you and you're hungry. You feel yeah. a, lift, a lightness, you know what I mean? And so that it, that's an, an existence, not just an album for me. It's an existence where I say, I'm going to love myself first <laughs> and love mankind um, with and give to mankind so that I can feel like, right? And not right. so much for the person I'm feeding, but yes. for me being the one feeding um, mankind with my music and with my, my likeness, because um, that's how I want to be. Right. Well, and I feel like I feel like this album um, and the message behind the album, the sentiment behind the album is so much what people need right now, uh, because there's there is a lot of compassion in the world and there is a lot of love in the world. But the lack of empathy and the lack of compassion and the lack of love for our our neighbors and, you know, people in our communities is sort of rising to the top of our consciousness right now because of what we're going through. And um, I, I, I love that there's work like yours right now that's like reminding people of what it's like to love and what that feeling, what that feeling is. Right. It, and you're so right. I like how you say it rises to the top of consciousness. Yeah. And, and you're, you're basically saying that that doesn't mean that that's what's happening. You Absolutely. know what I mean? You have to be intentional um, in engaging the world to to connect with that love and that kindness that's there because it doesn't sell quite so easily. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> drama sells, right? <laughs> More and more these days. <laughs> Gotta have a little drama. But it's but it's a facade. You have more people who are who recognize that they're alike, more people that are reasonable, more people that are conscious of, of their neighbors than you would ever believe because they're in the silent majority. Absolutely. It's like, where's the place uh for those that hang out in the middle that says, you know. Um, I may be a Democrat, but I believe in these values. Well, I right. may be a Republican, but I believe in these values. I may right. be black, I may be white, but I believe in this. And there's just not a box to put you in that is on the far right or left. So yes. you just hang silently in the middle, you know, yeah. or being a straight guy that wants to be friends with a bunch of gay guys, but not be seen as gay, right? Right, <laughs> so right. It's like, where's the space for the majority of the people who say, I don't care. I just love you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care that you're white. Yeah. It's okay. I don't care that you're black. It's okay. I love you. That's not marketable. You know, it, it, there's no, I would say that there's not a, a platform or a voice that says, hold up. The majority of us out here are reasonable. <laughs> we think reasonably. We we're open yeah. to new ideas. We're open to uh, acknowledging we may be ignorant, but I'm not a bigot. Right. Right. <laughs> I may not understand your point of view, but I'm willing to listen. That's not as marketable as the fighting and the fussing of that consciousness that's forced on us through yeah. social media, mainstream media. And that's why I always say, hey, listen, I, I am the voice, a voice for the silent majority, mm -hmm. you know, a, a voice of reason. And so I like to put that into my music, ask questions in my music they say you know on my last album I said where are we marching do we know where the road's going to end yeah. who are we following you know are we closer than where we begin 
these are reasonable questions you have to ask yourself. Yes. Yeah. And, and I, and I feel like, um, well, I, I spent a, a good amount of time with your music this week. I, I spent most of the time with lightness of love, but I, I kind of went back into your catalog and, um, I, I, I know that, you know, that, that you've already put out the awakening and you probably talked about it a million times, but, um, I was just bowled over by it. I, I ended up sharing it on my, my personal Facebook page and, um, telling everybody to go and listen to it until they know all the words, because mm. I I feel like I feel like it's important for everybody to learn the things that you're talking about in in that album, um, because a lot of people because of, you know, whitewashing and the school system or just where how they were brought up, they don't know a lot of um, history of actual facts that you do um, just a gorgeous job of um, telling those in, in song. So, you know, um, even though we're here to talk about lightness, um, I also want to commend you on the job that you did on the awakening. Well, I I am all of my music, right? So we can talk about the awakening (laughs) because I, I still, you know, I still love that's still me. You know what I mean? I still believe, you know, when I said there's something's different this time, you know, and I did see your post about two fifths. Yeah, um, I, I love just, it. Yeah. And, and you, you know, that's still Alvin Garrett. You know, th- th- that's still my consciousness and my existence. Mm-hmm. The lightness of love was just my response to it. You know right. what I'm saying? And so I acknowledge that there is, uh, you know, say racism or systemic racism. Mm-hmm. I acknowledge it, but how do I respond? Do I respond with anger or do I respond with compassion? Do I respond with, uh, you know, out reaching out, being a person that's approachable? I always tell people, I said, you know, I'm I'm like the uh, coolest person to white males, right? <laughs> Because I make them comfortable enough to open up and talk, right? <laughs> so, I can't say the same about myself. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> you, I'm so you'd be amazed the kind of conversations I had with Southern white men. Yeah. Because they're comfortable, right? Because they, I make them feel comfortable enough to be honest. And, and I don't put racism on them simply because they're Southern white men. Right. 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 And, and so when I acknowledge that you're not racist simply because you're Southern and white and male, they feel they feel something they probably don't don't feel all the time. And they open up and they share and say, these are things I just don't understand. Can I ask a question? And you'd be amazed <laughs> what happens when you acknowledge to a person that you don't buy into the stereotypes about them and yeah. let's talk. Right. Let yes. me educate you. And then you find a, a bond that starts to happen. Right. And so it's a process. And I do it with gay men. Right? I do it with white. I do it with anybody. I say, listen, here I am. I'm coming at you pure. I don't have all the answers and I know you don't have them all. But can we talk? Right. Yeah, and, yeah. and can we embrace these areas that we can learn and grow from each other without judgment? And that takes effort. That, you know what I mean? And that's one of the things, certainly through my music, but through conversations like this, I say, when you hear the music, here's the man that's writing it. I, I do this in every uh, aspect of life. How can I uh, make a person feel some love and compassion enough to maybe impact them enough to change, right? Yeah. yeah. In a different way, because we, 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 
we sort of presume that everybody sees it from our point of view. They don't. <laughs> so exactly. They don't. Enlighten yeah. them. It's your responsibility to enlighten the world, not their responsibility to already know. You see what I mean? And so I just take a different perspective uh, on life and certainly through my music. I love that. There's a lot of compassion in that, too. You know, that um, having empathy for the fact that somebody might not understand your point of view and, um, you know, helping them to put down their defense mechanisms so that they they can participate in that hopefully productive conversation with you. Absolutely. And I I call it the uh, elevator experience. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So the first thing you have to do when you get on an elevator in, in tight spaces, tight quarters, you have to know yourself, right? And you have to know how the world sees you. So the identity of self is not just how you see yourself, but how does the world see you? So I understand I'm a black male. And I understand that the world sees black male a certain way, whether it's true or not. I have to acknowledge that it's possible that the white female on the elevator may have seen something that's a false narrative about me. Right. So I, I start with acknowledging and compassionately saying, what I don't want her to feel now is fear. So let me smile. Let me say something that removes fear from this elevator. If Even if it's only for 10 seconds from mm-hmm. the first to the second floor, right? Fear can feel like a lifetime. But if I say, hey, how you doing? You just suck the fear yeah. out of that elevator. Now yeah. that person, for just 10 seconds, doesn't feel afraid. And you don't know if that planted a seed of change. You don't know if they actually thought that about you. But right. it's still for me, I feel accomplished that I took the initiative to not say, well, they ain't going to speak to me. Or she probably think I'm trying to grab her purse or blah, blah, blah. No, right. I'm saying, hey, how are you? We'll help you have a great day. That yeah. doesn't hurt me at all. Yeah. Right. I don't even know. I may never see the impact of that kindness in that tight quarters. But what I know is not there is fear. So me, I own that. I own that as a challenge for myself. I don't expect the world to not fear me. It's Mm -hmm. my job to remove the fear. And it doesn't take a lot. Just give a little love. Right. Yeah. And my my hope, too, is that, you know, like uh, there there are so many there's so many pitfalls of social media. But one of the positive things that I've found is that there's more and more. Uh, truth and education, especially about race relations in mm-hmm. my newsfeed, where, you know, like a lot of those false narratives are getting debunked and they're being addressed where, you know, like where people who have had preconceived notions because of a false narrative that they were exposed to or the way they were raised, whatever, it, whatever it is, how they got there. But mm-hmm. it's it's bringing it out in the forefront that that also, you know, those folks need to not make those assumptions in the beginning and, and like to take, to kind of take that away and be like, Oh honey, no, this isn't real. (laughs) Like you need to, you need to stop making that assumption out the gate and, you know, give everybody a chance. And so I'm kind of hopeful that like, you know, with, uh, with more conversation, like we're talking about and, um, more of just people showing kindness to one another, no matter who they are, where they came from or what they look like, that we'll be able to come to, to a deeper understanding of, of our fellow humans. I, I absolutely agree. And, it, it, you know, I always say the only person I can control is myself. Right. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> if I spend my time 
trying to force other people not to. It's an endless cycle. Yeah. Don't assume that about me. Don't assume that it's an endless, uh, heavy cycle of life. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I say, if I'm going to experience the lightness of love, it has to start with me. Right. 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 Because if I, if I meet you and I come in with a blank slate and I say, I'm going to take you as you give it, as you give it to me. Yeah. Right. And I'm going to engage you from a certain default, which is I'm happy, happy to see you. Nice to meet you. Now you can ruin it. Right? <laughs> oh yeah. There's a lot of people that can ruin that. <laughs> you can ruin it, mess it up. But what I'm, but what, what I'm going to do is hold you accountable for how you interact with me. Right. What I'm not going to do is let you steal my joy. Right? right. So for instance, if I'm walking in my neighborhood and I'm walking on the right side of the street, I have every right to stay on the right side of the street as the white male or white female coming towards me with their dog. Absolutely. Okay. What do I do? What most black people, maybe white people don't know this, but what most black people subconsciously do is go to the other side of the road, mm-hmm. right? Go to, go to the, yield the street because of history, because of in the past you had to, or you could be killed, right? Yes. Well, I say I'm not going to do it because I have as much right to keep walking the path I'm on as you do. Absolutely. And what you find is the closer and closer you get to that oncoming person, they'll yield to you. And what you do is, hey, how you doing? <laughs> right? Yeah. But I have, but I have to force myself that because I'm conscious that the world expects me to yield my space, right? But I'm not going to do it. But I'm going to engage that that confrontation with a smile and say, hey, we both have just as much right to this space, <laughs> right? As yeah. Americans and as yeah. humans, how are we going to engage respectfully and with love? If you don't engage me that way. I'll deal with you accordingly, right? right? Because number one, I'm an American and mm-hmm. I'm a human. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And, yeah. I, and I have just as much right to this space as you. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And so I, I, I deal with the world in that way. And so I hold my head up, but it's respectfully and it's, and, and it's compassionately until you establish that you don't want to deal with me in that way for whatever reason. Right. Then I hold you accountable at that right. point. That's an incredibly powerful thing to hear um, just in its entirety, you know, that 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 that's um, a mindset because of where we've been in history and 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 honestly, where a lot where some of the world still is today. Um, some of our country still is today in those mindsets. And um, I've, I've I'm just it's, it's just very powerful. And I appreciate you sharing that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so. Let's talk about Lightness of Love some more. Was there one song that led you in this direction or did you decide that you were just going to do this collection of songs and you had a concept for the album before you started? Well, it was, I'll give you the experience. I was just honestly on YouTube listening to music and Mm -hmm. I heard this one track and I was just like, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I just started singing in this deep voice. You know, I said, I never knew that I could ever feel my heartbeat. I just started singing. I recorded the song, played it for the kids. And they were like, oh, I love it, daddy. Play it again. Play it again. Play it again. <laughs> and so we just played the song over and over and over again. And we got home. We were dancing and skipping around the house. You know, we're going, going to go together. And it was just this experience from that one song that I had with my two daughters. 
And they would say, Daddy, play the new song, play the new song. And I was like, I want to do more of this. You know what I mean? And so I just dove into it, found another track from the same producers. And I said, you know what? I love their music. Let me just keep writing. And the songs just start coming. Boom, 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 boom. And like literally after Christmas and before New Year, I recorded four of the last songs (laughs) in one week. Uh, I wrote them, recorded them and just released the album on my birthday this year. Um, And so it was honestly the experience of how I felt dancing to my own music with my two young kids who said, play your song again. And then I started thinking about everybody else's kids like, okay. You don't have to turn the dial. You know, it's, it's not have to oh, oh, don't listen to that. Let me skip yeah. that song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like old school music where, you know, and I feel like uh reason why Motown music is so timeless because you can play it around the kids. You know what I mean? And so yeah. generation after generation after generation can listen to Marvin Gaye, can listen to Aretha Franklin, can listen to Sam mm-hmm. Cooke and all of these other great singers and 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 even some a lot of rock and country you can pass it along but now this modern day r&b stuff is so grimy it's so sex laden and so drunk the culture that's put in the music you can't play it around your kids if you want if you're being a responsible parent to be honest right so it's for grown folks time <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> i want to make some grown folk music that's okay to play around the kids you know what i mean yeah um and so i was able to pull that off with this album and i made sure as i was writing it that not only did i feel great as an adult but that my kids could listen to it and it'd be wholesome enough for them you know what i mean and so uh, you hear songs like In It, you know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. just super romantic, talking about what is what life is like when you're with the one you love, how you can be under a bridge or on a house on a hill, no matter where it is, as long as we're together. You know, those are messages I want my kids to hear, whether they consciously or subconsciously understand it or not. I want them to get it later on when they're walking down the aisle with the person that loves them and say, hey, mm-hmm. we're going to do this life together, whether we're at the worst points of life or at the greatest points of life, because my daddy put it in a song, you know, and I understand, you know, so. That's so sweet. I love that. I love that it came from that place too, with you and your kids just being happy together. That's just, I don't, I can't think of a sweeter place for a a body of work to, to come out of. Um, Mm. And, and your single flowers, is such mm-hmm. a sweet song too. So tell me about, tell us about Flowers. Well, Flowers, uh, of course, the, the, the spirit of it is gratitude. Uh, but literally, I was on the radio here in Birmingham uh, and they were playing some of my music and an older musician, you know, called, texted me and said, man, I just heard you on the radio. He just told me how proud he was, you know, and he's been knowing me since I was sort of a teenager coming into Birmingham uh, you may know Anthony House from the band Technique since you're a Birmingham girl. I know. Uh, I'm trying to think. I know that name. I'm I'm sure that we've probably. He was met. definitely at owners a lot. <laughs> Me too. Right. We, we might have sat out on the porch and played chess or something. <laughs> right. He was one of those, those. You know, the band was called Technique, and he was one of the, the leaders of Technique. Mm-hmm. Uh, but back when I was young and just sort of getting out. You know, really talented, kind of cocky, you know. Yeah. And he sat me down. He was like, hey, man, you got a lot of talent. You can do a lot of great things. If you got to humble yourself, young man, you, you know, you're a little cocky. 
you know, and I didn't want to hear it at the time. You know, I'm early teens, you know, late teens. Yeah. Uh, but I, I told him that day when he texted, I said, hey, man, you may not have. I've never told you this, but one of the things that people, you know, uh, applaud me about now is my humility, you know, with my catalog and all of my credentials. They say, man, you're so humble. You wouldn't expect this. And I said, but it goes back to you sitting me down and telling me that I had to humble myself if I was ever going to be successful. I said, I heard you and I want to thank you for having the courage to tell me what I needed to hear. And he said, man, listen, he said, if you can write a song that makes the world feel how I feel right now, you'd have a hit. And, wow. and we literally shed tears together as two grown men. He said, man, thank you. He said, thank you so much for letting me know I, I, I mean so much to you. And I wrote the song Flowers uh, immediately after we got off the phone uh, just to capture that exchange of gratitude and tribute between uh, what I call the gardener and, a, and the garden you know, saying that, hey, this humility that you see in me is a flower from your courage in challenging me. So I I tell people when you hear this song, think of somebody uh, that, you know, sold something in you, regardless of what it is, and show them a flower <laughs> that, you know, that you are or that has come from that encouragement, be it chastisement or pat on the back. <laughs> you are who you are because of the people that you've encountered in your life, you know? So that's what this song is all about. I love that. I think that that's just a gorgeous metaphor for, um, for that sentiment and that moment with, with your mentor. And um, it's another one of those, you know, gratitude things too. Like, and I feel like it even goes beyond gratitude. It's, it's being able to say thank you and also showing that person how they actually worked in their life after you've thanked them. I, and I think that that's like, that's like, thanks with a bonus, you know? <laughs> Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, you go ahead. Um, well, I was going to say, you know, speaking of Birmingham, let's let's talk about let's talk about our fair city because I'm from Birmingham and um, I, I've lived in Birmingham off and on since I was like age 12. So I, I pretty much consider it my hometown. Um, OK. And um, so have you are you were you born and raised in Birmingham? I was born and raised in the great city of Tuscaloosa. And oh, okay, roll tide. <laughs> <laughs> Only a southerner can get it. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I came to Birmingham in 96 uh, to attend college on a football scholarship at Sanford University. Okay. And so after graduation, I just decided I wanted to make Birmingham home. So this has been home for me since 96. It's a beautiful city. And, and I was I was saying that before we started recording the interview, I was saying that I can't believe that you and I have not met because like when I was reading about you and um, and I reached out to my friend Sharif Simmons, you know, Sharif. Oh, yeah. yeah. So he's a real good buddy of mine and my husband's. And um, oh, I mean, we wow. haven't seen him a lot since he moved, you know, out to he's a he's a beach guy now out in San Diego. Okay. I <laughs> um, he was a beach guy when he was here. <laughs> yeah, he, he was he was uh, taking pictures of his feet in the sand the other day on Facebook. So um, <laughs> we we still keep up with Sharif, but he he couldn't believe that you and I hadn't met before too. And um, and you and I were talking before the before I started recording about our mutual friend Ona Watson, mm -hmm. and um, 
Ona, uh, Ona is a mentor for me. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever I quit my day job to become a professional musician, I, I didn't even know where to begin. And, mm-hmm. and it was hard to get booked, you know, like it was hard to, it was hard to get booked in Birmingham if you weren't playing like, you know, frat favorites for four yeah, hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was trying to do original music and Rona and I used to hang out at Lou's together a lot. And he was like, well, you should come play the, play the club. And mm-hmm. so he would have me play his club. And this was after he moved to Lakeview. Um, he would have me every Wednesday, every, every month on Wednesday. So I played there mm-hmm. once a month probably for two or three years. I was just kind of a regular, including one of those Wednesdays was Valentine's day. And, you know, and I'm up in Ona's and like my country ass is playing playing like bluegrass and country, but we had so much fun that night. And I, I feel bad though, because I sang, um, I sang kind of a love them and leave them song. And some of those women were like hitting their dates. <laughs> They're like, yeah, listen to what she's saying, you know, um, but um, Ona, Ona helped me get my start. Like he got me on TV for the first time and, wow. and, and he's, you know, and I feel like he, I feel like I'm not the only Birmingham person that, can say that he's my mentor. So yeah. tell, I want to talk about Ona a little bit. Tell me about your, you just your gave knowledge him flowers. of him. You just gave him flowers. That's what I you did. <laughs> I did. What's <laughs> yeah, yeah. so ironic now, you may not have recognized me because I'm so different now than I was when you were here. Uh-huh. You, heard, you ever heard of the band Just a Few Cats? Yes. That was my, that's my band. And oh, so- okay. I was the bait. I was the founder and bass player for the band Just Be Cats. Ruben Stutter was in the band originally. Right. You know, um, so most people knew me as a bass player, mm-hmm. you know, back then. And so, of course, you know, we played a few times in and out of owners. But funny story, you know, owner was one of those, you know, like you say, I call them the OGs. When I yeah. first got to Birmingham, it was like, hey, you got to come play my club. And I was yeah. like, how much you band? Right. <laughs> Because, <laughs> you know, I took that business degree serious. I came out, you know, I'm saying yeah. I'm, we were at the work play. You know, I was promoting my own events. Me and Ruben Stutter, we were getting out selling our concert tickets and we were kind of hot. So, you know, I only talking about 400 bucks. I'm like, hey, man, we got, <laughs> I said, we selling $20 tickets to 200 people. I can do math, baby. He was, yeah. like, he was like, but you got to pay your dues. And at the time, I was seeing it as a financial decision. But I didn't see it as a rite of passage at the time. It, yeah. it wasn't so much about you have to come play my room for money. You have to come get the experience of playing my room. It's yeah. a temple. It's a legacy. And it took us years. When I tell you, it, we I might have gone 10 years into my career in Birmingham with mm-hmm. my band before we played there. Because in my mind, the business didn't add up. Right. When we played, I understood it, right? I understood legendary. It. It's, it's legendary. Yes, it's the room. It's not, it's the experience that he was saying, you know, in his own way, you have to, in order to go where you're going, you got to come experience this room. You got to bring what you have into this room. The intimacy of it 
is leg is so many legends have come into this room. So he was really saying, I see you and your band is one of those, right? Come in yeah. here and, and get your name on the wall or put your feet on the ground. So there was something uh uh very uh, spiritual about it that I missed, right? Absolutely. Because, because we were, like you say, in, in that place where, hey, we're we're being we're successful, we're touring, you know, we're doing all of that. But now I value that differently. I value it now because I can look back on it and say that it's not about the bottom, you know, the mm-hmm. the dollars or the bottom line. It's about that and the experience, the the richness of what you're doing. And so I've grown since then. And so even though my experience with Ona was different than yours, mm-hmm. I still value the lesson of what he represents. Because now I'm like, OK, now that I'm older, I yeah. respect it differently. I understand it differently. And yeah. I honor his legacy uh, differently now than I did as a young, cocky musician yeah. doing my <laughs> So I have grown. I have grown and almost to a point where people don't even recognize me as the same guy I was back during that phase of my career. Well, I'm so glad that we we're we're both so fortunate that we've been able to know Ona and, and have the experience of playing in that room and um and getting that invaluable advice. Like I can't put a I can't I can't put a price on um the things that Ona has imparted to me over over the you know, 10, 12 years that I've been doing this. And right. I still, I don't get to Birmingham very much anymore, especially with, you know, COVID and all that. But mm-hmm. um, I still call Ona uh, from time to time just to check in on him and Sarah and see how they're doing. And yeah. um, and I, I love calling Ona because like, he's always glad to hear from me, but he don't want to stay on the phone too long. <laughs> it doesn't matter how long it's been since I talked to him. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, I got to go. <laughs> right, right, right. And you got to say, say, I met, I met Alvin. I talked to Alvin. Yeah. <laughs> I know I'm, this is going to give me an excuse to call him. I'm, right, I'm right. excited about that. <laughs> Don't let him say nothing bad about me. Now. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. Well, um, tell me what it's like to get a Grammy nomination. Cause I'd really love to know. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, for me, it was, it was humbling. To be honest, it was uh, one of those things where for a minute, you you know, you take it all in and you're like excited because everybody's, you know, but it really humbled me because I said, well, if I'm going to now put Grammy nominated in front of my name, I got to live up to it. Like I can't take any short steps. I can't, you know, truly have to humble myself and work even harder to live up to that um, label as a Grammy-nominated songwriter. So it actually made me work harder and it pushed me and not so much because of the allure of, of say, oh, I got a Grammy nomination, but I was like, what happens if you let up? Grammy nomination, what? <laughs> <Right>? yeah. <laughs> so it, can, it can be one of those things that give, give you the has-been type, right? It's like, right. yeah, you're... Yeah, that was a long time ago. Yeah, he's Grammy nominated, but that was way back in the days. So (laughs) (laughs) for myself, I said, I want everything I touch for the people that hear it. If they read that next to my name to say, oh, that makes sense. You know what I mean? That I live up to it. Not so much that I get a trophy, not so much that I, you know, get an award for the accolades. 
But that five, if you read it next to my resume, that you actually believe I deserve it because of the greatness of my music. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and so I love that. that's the part that that's what happened for me. And for for what did I was I tried to look through all the stuff that I got for your bios and everything yeah. and your website. And I for what was the Grammy nomination? What it was actually work? for a gospel, a gospel song on the gospel album of the year, a nomination uh, in 2012 for a song called Bring Your Praise with a group named Trinity uh, three Trinity five seven. Uh-huh. Uh, and so it was up for gospel album of the year. I love uh, that. I wrote the first single off that album. Well, I'll have to go look that up, too, because um, I love gospel music. It's uh, I feel like it's kind of the root of everything we do. It is. Um, yeah. And, and uh, like and you write a good bit of gospel music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I write a lot of gospel music. I actually came into this year. It was only for about a week or two, but it still was kind of cool. Came into 2021 with the number one Billboard gospel song. Uh, called Patiently Praising. So uh, I was able to come in with my first Billboard number one gospel song or song period uh-huh. uh, as a writer, as a writer coming into 2021. So I thought it was pretty symbolic. And, yeah, that's you know what fabulous. I mean? to get my first number one at the top of the year. Yeah. Uh, so that's I write wonderful. a lot of gospel. Yeah, but I but I don't sing it myself. You know, I'm not a gospel yeah. artist because, you know, I'm a preacher's kid. Like I have all the makings of a gospel artist. So it's like, sure. but what happens if to, you know, for the people who are listening to R&B stations who need to hear something inspirational? Where they gonna get it? They may not tune into the gospel stations. Mm-hmm. And I've released some music, uh, particularly a song called By Myself, where so many people heard that song on their blues stations, their uh, R&B stations, and said, man, this song stopped. I had a guy tell me it stopped him from committing suicide. You know what I mean? Wow. Um, and in fact, heard that several times where people say that song stopped them in their tracks from doing something bad or gave them hope. And I always said, what if I had put Jesus on the song and it didn't get played on the right. radio TV station at right. the time that guy was about to kill himself? You know, so I, I, I do this for the decision mm-hmm. to say, make great music, make inspirational music, but don't go gospel. You know what I'm saying? And that's right. totally not an abandonment of my roots. That's mm-hmm. me saying, OK, well, love is love. Mm-hmm. And the people that need love the most are the ones that may not hear it or see it or feel it where they are. Take yes. it you. you know what I mean? Yes. And I like and I I feel like. um music like when you're talking about the the guy that um your song saved his life like I've heard so many stories like that from people that have you know listened to my music or you know other fellow musicians that I know that have had similar experiences and it's just overwhelming sometimes yeah. to realize how transcendent and how powerful music is yeah and it can it can literally save somebody's life Yes, yes. And that and that's why I I actively choose to write the way that I write, um, because I I think, okay, how is this person gonna feel when they hear this song? You know, what's this uh this lover gonna feel when they see this next lover and when my song playing, like, you know what? Why are we arguing? Like yeah. <laughs> why are we mad at each other? You know what I mean? Yeah. Regardless of whether it's my love music or whether it's the awakening. What is a what is that person going to feel? And so I try to reach out through that through the uh, listening device 
and grab that person by the heart and say, hey, listen to this, feel this. You know, so I'm very, very uh, empathetic and, and thought, you know, provoking when I'm when I'm writing music because that's a part of my process. And, and you know, although I like I say, I write to feel what I want to feel. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about you like, hey, what's she going to feel? Sure. She the song. Well, it's the human experience. Right. Um, And it's and music to me is uh, is a means to an end for a human connection. Uh And um, and I think that that's a beautiful thing that you do with your music. And even beyond that, like you're reaching out to people and making a human connection with with outreach through music. So like and tell me about the right life. Yeah, the right life is a uh, songwriting uh, curriculum, and I like to call it a songwriting therapy program that I've developed uh, where I use my process, my thought process for writing songs to, to teach, you know, of course, songwriting, but it doubles sort of as a, as a, a class for therapy. And I work with the reentry program here in Birmingham called the Dannon Project. And we've had some of the most transformative classes uh, because you, you're dealing with a, a lot of young people who may have had trouble past or have trouble situations, at-risk population. Yeah. They love rap, hip-hop. But if you can get them to communicate and think things through about their life and then give them a positive uh, outlet to share those thoughts and translate it into music, you find a lot of healing, you know, and even relationships and, and uh, the way they coordinate with each other and, and build relationships. Say, oh, you know, it's a safe place. And so the right life has been, you know, for me, a way to give back and to um, guide and not just great songwriters, just mm-hmm. any human being. It could be the process for starting a business, the process for thinking through a vision or whether or not to leave your job like you and yeah. I. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's your plan? And a good song should start with, you know, hey, what are you what do you want to say? What do you want to do? Mm-hmm. Who are you singing to? Who's your audience? And why? What's your purpose for that song? What do you want them to feel? How? That's the fun part. The music, the melody. And so I always tell people, I say, you have to follow that musical GPS to say, what am I talking about? Who am I talking to? And why am I talking to them? Then we can have some fun. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that a lot of the folks that you're dealing with, too, are are trauma survivors. I mean, a lot of the times, like folks that end up in in that particular space in their life are they're they're coming from a a past that is filled with so much trauma. And as a trauma survivor myself, like I have found the act of writing music so therapeutic and so restorative so I can only imagine that that's that's the way they're feeling whenever they're working with you. It is. It is. And and I the class keeps evolving. You know, uh, during the pandemic, you know, I had a no vulgarity clause where it was like, hey, no vulgarity allowed. I challenged them to write songs that didn't include, you know, song, you know, wor- words about, you know, uh, drugs or the N-word and all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But then I, as we've sort of started gathering again in small uh, settings, I said, no, come as you are. Yeah. Like, let me hear what's on your mind. Yeah. If it's vulgar, spit it all out. Right. You know, And so I sort of relaxed my requirement to say, if I can let them have a safe space, but make them explain what they're talking about. 
Yeah. And I found that evolution of my program to be even more powerful because you learn another person's language and what's vulgar to you may not be vulgar to that person experiencing that trauma. That's just their way expressing it. And so by allowing them to express it freely, then I say, okay, instead of pulling her hair out and back, <laughs> yeah. you know, what are you really trying to say, right? Let's yeah. talk through these things that you're saying. And what you find is that their discourse doesn't match the rap, right? The yeah. discourse doesn't even match the freestyle. Yeah, I shoot you and da da da. But then you say, okay, well, tell me what you're talking about. Well, man, I'm just angry, you know, or I'm, right. I'm running, I'm trying to do better in my life, but I got to, these streets are chasing me down. And you start hearing these uh, very elegant explanations of where this pain is coming from, you know. And so then I challenge, I say, but for me to put this on the radio and to share your message with the world, can you clean it up? Let me challenge you to think past your current vocabulary, uh-huh. right? Yeah. And they embrace it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can I can say this. <laughs> I <can> thing. <laughs> of course. I don't have to curse. I don't have to use the N word. And yeah. then you see celebrating like, yo, that was great. You pulled it off. And mm-hmm. so I learned from the class. Right. I learned yeah. uh, that that you have to take a person, even what you may see as vulgarity, take them as they are, allow them to grow with you and show them the benefits of not using language that may be offensive to other people, as opposed to, you know, out the gate saying, hey, you're going to be offensive because mm-hmm. in their world, it's not offensive. It's just how we talk. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, they're just they're, they're meeting themselves where they're at. And, and, right. and I think that that's also a big part of songwriting and a big part of therapy. Um, yeah. As somebody who's benefited from a lot of therapy this past year, um, mm-hmm. you know, trying to heal some of my trauma um, meeting yourself where you're at is, you know, really important. And, um, I just, I love that you're giving them a space to do that and a space to be vulnerable because there's no healing without vulnerability and there's no good writing without vulnerability. So it's, I I feel like when I read that about you, um, I was, I was really fascinated and, um, and I, I just, I just love it that you're, that you're doing that. Yeah. yeah. Um, how long have and you been doing that project? I actually discovered my love for teaching songwriting in 2015. Uh-huh. Uh, I started getting invited to different schools uh, around uh, the city of Birmingham after I, the song by myself made it big on the radio, I actually hit number one here. Uh, so a lot of people like, hey, the kids are actually listening to your song. Can you come talk to them? Uh, and so just in the process of going to a couple of camps uh, I found like I'm pretty good at this, you know, because as a vocal producer, I was already doing it. You know what I mean? Within the studio with other uh, performing artists, you know, and I would always say, hey, before we start writing, before we start singing, let's talk. Just who are you? You know, so I always yeah. tell females, I say, hey, we can't sing and write a sexy song if you don't feel sexy, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, so, character. Right. You like, your dress down. I mean, you know. <laughs> Like, let's not write about that. Like, <laughs> you know, if you feel uncomfortable, let's not even do it. Even if the label says you should, that's right. not you. Right. You know, but I would always sit and talk with the artist for sometimes an hour, two hours, and then write the song. And they will always say, this is me. Wow. This song feels like me because I took your words and compressed it into a song. Your yeah. experience. 
Mm-hmm. Your experiences compressed it into the song because I said, I want don't want you on stage singing my song, sing your song. You know, so I have to listen. And so uh, taking that process that I've always used as a writer for other artists and turning it into a a class was pretty natural for me. So did you I I meant to ask you this earlier. um, Did you did you play all of the instruments on Lightness of Love or did you have other folks come in and join you? No, actually, uh, all these songs were produced by two uh, producers in Seoul, Korea. (laughs) Wow. Okay. And, and here's what's interesting. And I always wondered how I would answer this question about the music production. Uh-huh. Okay. During the pandemic, of course, you can't produce music like you normally would. You can't get everybody in studio. So for me, I said, let me try what the rap boys do. You know, the young rappers, what they'll do is go on YouTube, yeah. find a beat that they like, and they'll lease the beat which I always thought as a music producer, no, I never do that because I want to own all my intellectual property, blah, blah, blah. But during the pandemic, I, I, my views changed. And I was like, but I just want to make some music right now. I'm fiending to make great music. Yeah. And I just said, let me read these lease agreements. If the music is just that good, so what? You know what I mean? Right, right. Well, I literally did what the young mixtape rappers did. I just found music. And just purchased the lease and made it my own because I said, this is what I want to do right now. And I can't get in the studio for weeks and weeks and weeks like I traditionally would. Right. And it turned out to be some of my best music. That's great. I, yeah, yeah. And so, I, you know, for a minute, I thought I was like, oh, I'd be ashamed. But everybody's like, man, this production is ridiculous. It was right. just perfect. It was perfect for me. So it felt sort of divine that producers I've never met in my life could make the perfect music and the perfect keys for me, you know? Yeah. And so it, it, I was like, let me accept this rescue. Yes. Musically. And, and because I don't think, I know I would not have produced this, this album had mm-hmm. I done it with my traditional production team. Right. Which I've done with all my other albums. It sounds totally different, you know, but that was because I accepted the beauty of the music that I found. And yeah. Said, hey, that this may not be the absolute best business decision <laughs> in terms of how you would traditionally do it with intellectual property management. Mm-hmm. However, it feels good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's, and there's so much, you know, I mean, there's so much artistry in taking kind of a raw material like that and turning it into these songs, you know, with the, with the lyricism and with the style and with the, the performance of it and, and, and all that. So I think that was really cool that, that you were able to do that. Cause like, I was thinking because it was recorded during the pandemic, I was like, I just had this picture of you like in your studio being like, okay, I'm doing the bass parts and now I'm going to do the guitar parts and I'm gonna do the drum parts. And so that's why I asked that, but I think it's really neat that, that, that that's a method for doing it. Like I had no idea that you could lease um, music tracks like that. So that's, that's really cool. And, and, and I've done a lot of production, you know, remotely where we can just send things back and forth. Yeah. But there was something about the sonics of their production that I just didn't want to touch. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It felt so pure to me. And I was like, if their music makes me feel like this, if it draws this out of me, take it as it is. Don't change it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So to me, the palette that they gave, you know, with yeah. those tracks. I was like, man, this is just, 
And and oftentimes those songs would come out so seamlessly. And it, I said, I'm not touching the music. Just let it be. Um, and don't be ashamed if somebody asks to give credit where credit is due. And just sure. Two Koreans in Seoul, Korea. Yeah. Making music every day, putting it on the Internet like a lot of producers are doing. And I said, well, maybe this will, you know, break down some barriers to a different type of engagement, certainly with this new world we're living in. You know agreed. what I mean? Yeah, agreed. And I, I think, you know, music finds its way and music evolves. And, um, and you know, we still have the the classic way of doing things, but we're always find a, finding new ways to um, to grow with music and to have the music grow with us. So I, I think that that's really interesting that that you're able to do that. Yeah, now 2022. Uh-uh. Going be- in the studio. <laughs> oh, yeah, 2022. <laughs> I, already, I already got the concept in my mind. I'm, I'm just. Me I can't too. Wait. Me too. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait. <laughs> I cannot. I said, I'm gonna pick my bass back up. You know what I mean? And, yes. Because you know, I'm a I'm a bass player at heart. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I haven't recorded in a long time, nor performed with the bass. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That's my first love. Yeah. So I was like, on this next project, I'm going to produce and write because I can. Yeah. I'm going to produce and write everything top to bottom, you know, with the team of musicians, old school, going to the lab, yes. get some horns, you know what I mean? Some organ and yes. all that kind of stuff. And I've always wanted to record like they did back in the days, you know, and I've never been able to do that. Yeah. Um, but at this point, 2022, I want to go in and make a nice organic album where I'm just recording real musicians, you know, and it's more costly to do it that way, but you know, shucks, why not? You know? Yeah. I mean, sometimes you just got to make the investment and, and just yeah. go in it, like, again, like for the experience of it, because there's some such a richness of, of going in and, and having, you know, having those happy accidents happen in the studio and getting those lightning in yeah. a bottle moments and, um, mm-hmm. I can't wait to hear what you're going to do. Cause I, I love, I, I don't play the bass, but I love to hear a track that it's got a very prominent bass track in it. Mm-hmm. Um, like a lot of Nile Rogers productions are like that, where like yeah. the bass is like way out front. Like even when he, even when he produced like Duran Duran's albums in the eighties, like John mm-hmm. Taylor's bass was like way out front and it was a part in and of itself. So I, I love to hear that. And I can't wait to hear what you do with it. Oh, I'm telling you, I, I already hear it in my head. You know what I mean? So yes. they're just waiting for the right time. Um, and so it's, it's really cool to say, hey, I'm, I love the lightness of love. And, I, and I'm, I'm finally at a place where I can plan ahead because I've always done music chasing something. Right. Yeah. Where you kind of like trying to feeling like you're catching up. Yeah. You know, but now I'm at a place where I feel like I'm ahead. I'm at peace with what I have and I'm just waiting on that opportunity to, you know, to go make more music, you know, uh, the way I envision making it without the pressure of, oh, I got to I got to sell this much or I got to do this. Yeah. Make that music that that makes you feel like I say those beautiful yeah. mistakes. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, and all the rest. I think all the rest of it comes whenever it's a, whenever it's a, a project of love, you know, like yeah. I, I feel like other people get drawn in and want to be a part of that too. Absolutely. And, um, and I want to encourage uh, our listeners and, and I'll be encouraging everybody on um, the socials too, to check out, you've got a deluxe version of lightness of love coming out. Tell me what makes it deluxe. 
Well, I just basically added four new songs to Lightness of Love, which is seven songs. So it'll be 11 now. Uh Um, I said, you know, I wasn't ready to move on from the album. You know, I just, you know, I want to tour and perform the music. You know, finally started doing a more, you know, a few more live performances. And it just feels so good playing and performing this music. So I was like, let me extend the timeline and the life project. You know, a lot of people still discovering it. So let me add four new songs and they are smacking, you know. That's awesome. I think that's a really cool way to to kind of, yeah, like to to give more life to a project that you love so much. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's really, honestly, I, I, I love this so much, heard some new music. I said, let me just record more. And when I finally get around to touring, hopefully, you know, things kind of clear up a little bit. We're always praying and hoping for that. Um, I can perform this music because I, I don't want to move on to my next project until I get a tour under my belt with this yeah. album because it, yeah. it feels so good. Um, and so yeah. one, of the, one of the songs is actually called It Feels So Good. You know? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel that. I feel that. Like I, it, there's there's something about getting out there and sharing it with the world. Um, yes. you know, live in person that, um, that takes it to, it's like next level, you know? So I can't yes. wait for, um, for you to be able to do that. And I think that you will be able to do that. Like we're all going to be able to get out and do our thing. I, I just know it. And I've been praying real hard for it too. And, yes. um, um, well, I, maybe you and I should do a show together. How yes. Cool. Yes. Yeah. We should do we should do a Birmingham show together. That would be so. Or, or you're in Nashville, right? Yeah, or come up to Nashville. That's why I want to. You bring me to Nashville. Yeah. And- <laughs> we'll trade. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'm telling, I would, I would love, love to play with you. You know, with with your audience. Um, I would I, love for you to too. We'll have to, to. We'll have to communicate about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. That would be fantastic. Well, Alvin Garrett, I'm so glad that we finally met um, and um, so glad that we're friends now. And um, and I um, I've enjoyed talking to you so much. And like, I think I had too much fun, honestly. (laughs) 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 And thank you for this beautiful album um, that you've made. And um, I'll be sharing it with the world. And I I know that it's it's going to continue to be a great success. Well, I'm going to be listening to you. And let me save some life for me. <laughs> Get ready for our, for our future show. We're going to go ahead and say it. We're going yeah. To let's, yeah, let's definitely let's work on that and let's stay in touch. Absolutely. And I really appreciate you giving me an opportunity to share with all your listeners and supporters. And uh, it's an honor. Well, thank you. It's an honor for me, too. And I hope that you have a great rest of the day and a wonderful week. And we'll, we'll stay in touch. We'll talk. Absolutely. Okay, have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to Americana Station Podcast today. If you like what you hear, rate and review it. Uh, and make sure you share with all your friends. Um, and be on the lookout for our Patreon soon. We're going to be putting that up where we'll have additional content. Um, this podcast does not make any money currently. Um, and we would love to be supported by you so that we can do more things uh, and expand the podcast. So um, stay tuned for that. And thanks so much for listening. And uh, we'll see you next time with Corby Linker.